0: Hi, welcome to The Playful Musician. I'm your host, Steve Davidson. Each week, I sit down with musicians from all different paths, from composers to conductors, percussionists to piccolo players, to tease out their strategies, practice habits, tips, tools, tricks, routines, and how they keep all of it playful. The Playful Musician is an intimate look into the lives of each musician, how they got to where they are, what motivates and inspires them, and what playing music means to them. If you'd like to learn more about the guests or just more about being playful, head on over to the website, theplayfulmusician.com. There you can find show notes, links to all references mentioned in the show, and all kinds of resources related to music. Thank you for listening. And please subscribe to The Playful Musician on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And while you're at it, why not leave a review as well? Thanks again, and without further ado, here is this week's episode. Hey everyone, thanks for being here. This week's guest is legendary guitarist Jeff Pivar. Jeff is also a composer, producer, performer, and multi-instrumentalist. He and I sat down about a month ago up at the Stone House and had a great time talking about his journey as a musician, so much so that we talked for hours, and uh, I couldn't leave any of it out, so this is a two-parter, and this is part one. Jeff talks a lot about his uh, time with Ray Charles, his passion for music, and letting the music speak through you. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Jeff Pivar. All right, Jeff Pivar. Hi. Hi. <laughs> thanks for being on the show of course man it's great to be in the Stonehouse again and hmm. it's been a while i think i don't remember the last concert i think it was maybe the last love light okay concert yeah you know we've we've we like to mix it up <laughs> and uh
1: you know at the Stonehouse we like to mix it up we like to do all different types of uh of shows sometimes they're full band uh with a, Local rhythm section, sometimes it's singer songwriter, sometimes it's guests that are coming through or guests that I've played with or know or just love. Um, and just, you know, for my own preferences, I um, consider myself somewhat of an eclectic musician. Um, mm. Although I have certain areas that maybe are a stronger suit for me, I like to dabble in just about everything. <laughs> Um, and that's right. that keeps it really interesting for me. Sure, um, you know, as a musician, as a multi instrumentalist, as a producer, as a uh, someone who, you know, um, has played in country bands, and rock bands, and jazz fusion bands, and bluegrass bands. You know, I, I just love the idea of being able to apply yourself in all these different uh, arenas, and mm. hopefully, all of that stuff feeds into. Uh, a grander scope of one's musicality, rather than just, all right, this is what I do, and I'm just going to do this. And <laughs> the one trick pony. Yeah, yeah. And you know, who's to say that? Uh, well, whatever. You know, yeah. hindsight is twenty twenty. I'm, I'm very happy creatively. Mm. I love to be able to uh, play with lots of different musicians and different um, styles, and I feel like that just all uh, feeds into the the big hopper of music. You know? Right. Yeah. How long have you been doing house concerts? Well, that's a good question, and memory isn't my strong suit. But, um, you know, every situation seems to open up new opportunities. Right. Uh, we, Inger and I, moved into a home that had a barn about, I'm going to guess, eight years ago. And um, I'm sure that's not the first house concert I was ever sure playing in but to hold our own house concerts Uh, it's it's a combination of wanting to delve into creative um, performances Mm. it's also uh, obviously uh, being a musician who is a uh, uh, you know uh, independently uh, an independent musician who you know earn my keep my living I put food on my table with my abilities. Sure. So a house concert is, is, is a multifaceted opportunity where I can put together interesting performances, play with musicians that I want to, and hopefully make a few dollars for everybody involved, including uh, the the venue that right. we happen to be living in at the time. So we we started uh, doing these barn concerts up on Zemke Road when mm. we were up there. And then a few years later, we moved to this place, the Stone House, and we've been here now about six years and we've probably i don't know you know I, I when i'm touring i can't be doing it but i'm i'm gonna guess about eight concerts a year sure you know somewhere yeah. around there give or take right so <clears throat> it's uh, an absolute joy <laughs> uh part of this i, I <laughs> have to uh, give credit to our our landlords um uh, james adams and renee Riley, who um not only uh, allow us to do this here, but actually they seem to really take a lot of pride with us to bring community into this house. This house used to be uh, uh, Renee's father's, and um, I think he designed it or helped design it. And to keep his spirit alive uh, by bringing community into this beautiful space is just is such mm. a joy you know we, for so many years we've packed all our stuff in cars and then go <laughs> set it up and then play the gig and then leave right to be able to actually be in a place where you can set up the sound and have it the way you want and then right. see community come in it's yeah. i can't even describe what joy yeah. it brings both anger and i to yeah. be able to
0: hold these concerts here it's beautiful i yeah. mean it, you're welcoming people into your home. Yeah. You're welcoming people into the space. Yeah, And there's a... I don't know, it kind of... This has been a theme that's been running lately that it it's more like what music used to be. Mm-hmm. where yeah. people, Very community. Yeah, where you just have some people over and you'd play, <coughs> and you'd play music, you yeah. know, or you'd sit on the porch or <laughs> yeah no it's very community oriented
1: yeah. and uh you know to be be able to offer that out <laughs> to the local scene and you know w- uh, when you're hosting in your own space it's a totally different situation yeah. than going to someone's club or i mean <laughs> you know as uh, there's various experiences that haven't been exactly right. uh optimal, like, playing, and then there's the TV TV. on, and the other, you know, or (laughs) that kind of stuff. It's like, this is like you can hear a pin drop, and if 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 that isn't happening, I could ask our guests, "Excuse me, if you guys want to talk, would you please step outside? Because there's a lot of people here who would really love to hear the music, and I won't get fired for it. (laughs) (laughs) This is my
0: house. You (laughs) You make the rules.
1: So no, it's it's usually you can hear a pin drop. There's never a problem. You know, I mean, people are excited, and they, you know, some people uh, just don't have experiences like this very much. It's very intimate. Yeah, it's really it's just a, a godsend. Yeah, really has been. Yeah, that's uh, cool. And yeah. they get to interact. You guys, you get to interact totally and, you know, in yeah. a different way. It's totally fun. You know, we we when we do these concerts, we ask people how many people have never been here before, and it's usually over half have the people have haven't even been here. So, right. you know, I think we have over two thousand. People on our email list. That's amazing. You know, this is it, this is a donation. This yeah. is this is a very homegrown situation. Um, it's basically it's a party,
0: yeah.
1: and uh, <laughs> I mean, I hear back in the day they had things called rent parties. You know, to help <laughs> artists pay, the pay for their rent. I mean, in a way, that's kind of what it is, except that we're also. Uh, are paying whoever is the featured musicians because we bring in special guests and we want to make sure they uh, can take care of their expenses and make something for their time. And if we hire other musicians, you know, support musicians to perform with us, we like, you know, to take care of them and their time. Uh, And at the same time, you know, it's kind of interesting. I I thought about it. You know, you go see a massage therapist and it's $100 an hour, you know, and we play for about, two-and-a-half hours and usually the donation is like forty dollars so it's a really good right (laughs) yes (laughs) you get massage for two and a half hours and your friends can be with you and you have a great time and there's great food and it's really it's a very um, old-style communal tribal gathering
0: yeah you know (laughs) it reminds me a lot of and I, I was thinking when I first met you but I I don't actually remember, but I remember when Inger had the, the gallery, the Bohemia gallery. And Mm -hmm. I remember the first Fridays, that was the place to be like in Ashland. It was always like, (laughs) you want to be there nice, because it was community. There was so much community. And I feel like she has a real gift for that, um, I've seen in the 12 years that I've been here in Ashland, like she just is a magnet for community. And that seems like an obvious thing what you guys are doing. And she
1: was a magnet for me, man. (laughs) You know, as soon as I met her, I was like, oh my God, who is this? (laughs) The guy who introduced... Us, I turned to him and said, I am, well, I, I don't want to use expletives, but... I, oh, you can. Yeah. This is not a family-friendly... Oh, okay. Yeah, track. well, I just said, excuse me, but I am fucked because, <laughs> you know, I am, I just, I can't believe it. The first day I've met this person, and mm. I'm like, the klamtho va here. <laughs> So, you know, it's a beautiful love story. Mm -hmm. You know, I was on tour and the tour ended five days later and I came back to visit. and I've been here ever since. I mean, you know, it took me about a year to move out of Santa Barbara, but um, I knew when I met her that we were supposed to be together. And in fact, when I first put eyes on her, I recognized her. I mean, mm. somewhere in like past life land or Earth, whatever, yeah. subconscious or who knows. And there's so much to life that I don't dare try to figure out. Sure. I just accept the, the possibilities. Yeah, yeah. And uh, no, we've we've. This isn't our first go around. So, right. uh, such a gift to have her in my life. Oh, it's the yeah. best thing that ever happened to me. And I love that I have been able to be of. Um, inspiration and support to her mm. artistic abilities yeah. cuz she's blossomed oh, yeah. <laughs> in so many ways as a uh, as a, a composer as mm-hmm. a singer as a sculptress as a sculptor yeah. uh, as an artist <laughs> Uh, yeah. and you know, we both have learned a, a lot about being in a relationship. You know?
0: Yeah. Um,
1: so God, it just, you know, it's, it's just op- keeps opening up like a flower. That's you know? beautiful. And, uh, 16 years into our relationship, wow. we're doing better than ever. So she brought, was the reason you came to Ashland? Exactly. Yeah. Well, <laughs> David Crosby was the reason I played in Medford at the Criterion. Okay. And so I came into town early and some mutual friends who... Uh, knew both Inger and I, uh, I think they might have kind of planned on trying to introduce (laughs) us. And, uh, you know, uh, we ended up having um, a lunch together uh, at Lithia Park. And that's when I turned to my friend after like 15 minutes or 20 minutes after sitting with her and she went off uh, to catch her son who was playing or whatever. I said, oh my God, oh, I am in trouble. This is (laughs) like... Oh my God! <laughs> yeah. So fortunately, it all it all worked
0: out. <laughs> right. So you were living in Santa Barbara. What was that? Trans- was. What was that transition like? Moving up here. Or were- you know, I'm I'm from a rural uh,
1: place in Connecticut. You mm-hmm. know, I, so I'm not frightened of getting away from the city. Uh, I'm used to hearing crickets and you know, mm. kind of being in the woods, if yeah. you will. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was concerned. You know, am I taking myself out of the game? Because I I wasn't in California that long. Mm. Um, It was a little while. But that being said, you know, when you're a self, uh, when you're your own agent, agent, and you're trying to make decisions about your life and your career that are smart, informed, (laughs) reasonable, uh, you know, Mm. one would think, I mean, I will never know what my life would have been like if I stayed in like Los Angeles for 20 years. Yeah, would I be further along, or would I be? Right. You know, who cares? Exactly. It? You know what I mean? It's all mind. <laughs> sure. Masturbation. Gymnastics. Yeah. 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 So, um, not to say that um, there wouldn't be something great about being. A, you know, more involved with what's going on there, but God, right now, I'm so yeah, thrilled I'm here. Know. So, yeah. yeah, everything, you know, everything tends to work out f- for the best, and I would love to believe that there's a bigger power going on, uh, whether they you could call them guardian angels, or, you know, sure. again, this is esoteric stuff, but um, yeah. I, I really feel like everything that's kind of happened is, is unfolded in my life for a reason. And I love being of service to this community, yeah. you know, and uh, a couple of years ago, I had a chance to play for Oregon Shakespeare, the whiz. And I met incredible <laughs> actors and, you know, and getting involved with the community there. Mm-hmm. And actually Inger and I just did the, uh, Ashland film festival zoom party mm-hmm. opening night oh, right. where we were yeah. playing music for them and to, you know, see and hear these incredible filmmakers and, uh, you know, basically donate our services, yeah. to, you know, to just be a support to our community. Yeah. It's, yeah. I, I can't tell you how lovely it feels to be able to be in a position to make people happy like that through right. our music, through something that we love to do. Right. And uh, it is, it's a reminder uh, in, in just basic humanity that it's mm. not all about just making it buck. Right. You know, right. there's things that are priceless compared to that that right. just
0: have to do with being involved with your community however you can do it yeah. right you've had that guiding light it seems like for a long time in your mm. life that trusting your yeah. instincts like yeah. um, you know times that maybe you didn't feel prepared mm. you know maybe for <laughs> never auditioning really for, to you know yeah. auditioning for Ray or whatever uh-huh. but is that is that true that you've always had that yeah. inner sort of guidance that you've turned to that's been like trust this and it's all going to work out you know i i'm not really aware of
1: <laughs> anything except my burning desire to su- to succeed or to accomplish my passion yeah and so everything that's kind of happened whether it's happenstance or whether it's fate, <laughs> or whether it's just blind, dumb luck, or whether it's, you know, somebody needs to be there, it might as well be me, because I just happen to be there at the right place sure. at the right time. It's probably all of that Yeah, stuff, combination, you know, a little bit, and, yeah. and, 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 you know, you could try to, uh, sure. you know, decipher that until you're blue in the face, but... Um, you know, there's there's some great stories. Um, I don't know if I ever told you this story about the Ray, how I got the Ray Charles gig. No, I don't but think it, you did. It's, it's worthy of going through it. It takes a minute, though. You <laughs> sure, have, no. You have
0: a minute? <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> I've got plenty of minutes. All right.
1: So it was the week before the Ray Charles gig in... New Haven, Connecticut, and I, there used to be a music paper called The Advocate, and I saw a picture of Ray Charles, and he's playing at the Palace Theater in New Haven, Connecticut, and mm-hmm. I always was playing on weekends, and I happened to have this Friday night off, and I thought, I gotta go see Ray Charles, because I've never seen Ray Charles, right? and I'm in my 20s, right? and it's like, this guy's an icon, and it's not like I was listening to his records and it's not like I was even that familiar with him, but um, I did know that I was supposed to go. go see him, and the yeah. day that I'm planning to go, I get a phone call from a mutual friend saying, hey, I don't know if you heard, but Ray Charles lost his guitar player and called uh, a friend of ours who's a multi-instrumentalist. His name is Morris Pleasure, who <laughs> is now one of my dearest oh, okay. And Morris, Although he told me he was trying to reach me that day, maybe he didn't have my number or maybe he just thought, you know what, I'm just gonna go do this last minute. But anyway, they needed a guitar player. Morris went down to do it. I didn't know, mm. but except you know that I got this phone call from my friend, you should go down and get that gig. So I went down with a Rolling Stone magazine, in my hand that happened to have a review of Ricky Lee Jones's recent record and on one song it says in this in the, in the review and the graceful pluck and weave of Jeff Pivar's guitar on the song it must be love or whatever i thought it gave me some credibility yeah yeah you know? exactly like, who is this
0: guy? who is you this know?
1: yeah right a hey, jewish in, kid i'm in rolling stone you know <laughs> so anyway i i get there and i'm waiting I mean, look, you know, we as musicians know that the ensemble will show up sometime in the afternoon to right. set up and right. do their sound check before the gig. So I was just waiting in the plaza, <laughs> and all of a sudden, you know, you know, 15, 20 minutes after I got there, this bus, kind of a trailways sure, greyhound type bus, uh, arrives, and I see musicians walking out and I went up to the first person I could and I said hey uh, could you tell me who your band leader is and he said oh that's Clifford Solomon and uh here he is right here and I introduced myself I said hey Clifford um my name is Jeff Pivar I'm a uh, an accomplished guitar player I hear you guys might you know be looking for someone and I'm very interested and he's, he's like oh yeah cool man well you know uh, we got we got someone for tonight but why don't you come in you know why don't you come in and He said, "He said, why don't you hang side stage? We're doing two shows, so uh, just check out the show, and then I'll talk to you in between sets." So there (laughs) I am, watching this uh, performance, and in fact, I could see this young man, Morris Pleasure, who is actually a keyboard player, a bass player, multi instrumentalist. Mm -hmm. He's one of those guys who could probably play anything. anything, I know he plays trumpet. Anyway, uh, he's, I can see he's nervous and (laughs) music's falling on the floor while he's opening up the book. And, you know, Uh, (laughs) I could just, you know, I could see, you know, that he really wanted to try to do his best. But anyway, so I'm having my own uh, (laughs) tornado going on in my head because I am not a reader. I mean, in other words, I, I didn't, learn music from notation. I learned it from the mathematics and the sound of music. Mm. I could hear something and I will figure it out, how to play it. I can match tonality with the physicality of where it is on the guitar within reason. But, but that's least, how I yeah. taught myself how to play. Mm. I would listen to records, you know, and I started with Creedence Clearwater and listening to some of those solos. Nir, 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 nir. <laughs> oh, I could do that. Nir, nir, nir. <laughs> so, you know, I would kind of, my my self lessons, if you will, when mm. uh, it progressed as time went on and I'd take on more and more challenges, how sure. to learn things, and I be, was playing in bands. So, right. you know, uh, we were playing some Steely Dan songs. I mean, I, you know, I could kind of, as time went on, I mean, look, how do you learn how to speak English? You accumulate right. Language, vocabulary, vocabulary. Right. and you understand how to put words together. And same kind of held true to, with music to me. Right. The more that I did it, I, I would like to consider that I'm a natural.
0: So it was at this point in the interview that the memory in my audio recorder ran out. <laughs> so... Before we jump back in and hear the rest of Jeff's story on how he got the gig with Ray Charles, here's Jeff playing Twilight over Kashmir from his solo album, From the Core. Are standing backstage watching your friend play. Yeah, side stage. Uh,
1: <laughs> it's at the New Haven uh, Palace Theater. I guess this is like 1984. Yeah. Um, and uh, so yeah, it was my first opportunity to see Ray Charles. You know, and and because uh, this friend of mine, Tom Cody, who who is a saxophone player mm. uh, in a jazz. A fusion band that I was in called Street Temperature in Hartford. He had called me and he said he had heard that our friend Morris Pleasure was filling in. And he said, You should go down and get that gig, you know? And I thought that was a great idea. Yeah. I mean, stranger things have happened. I'm really not, I really wasn't familiar with his material per se. Of course, I've heard some of the hits, you know? But. Um, I just thought this is an opportunity and I should just check it out. Right. And that's kind of true with life. It's like, (laughs) if you're not sure if it's a fit, well, check it out. Yeah. You know, you got got nothing to lose (laughs) by checking it out. So there I am side stage watching... He was at that point in time Morris Pleasure, who he is now one of my dearest friends. But Mm -hmm. then he was an acquaintance, and uh, I know he told me afterwards that he was so nervous that I was standing there, and he said, "You should, you should." He was nervous that you were standing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Morris was because he knew, you know, that I was an accomplished guitar player. He did tell me that he was trying to call me that day. And I believe him, but I never got a call from him. But anyway, maybe there wasn't time or maybe he didn't have my number. So I I will give him the benefit of the doubt because he's a very honest man. So anyway, um, I'm watching Morris and I could see he's nervous. And at one point, you know, they're getting ready to go on and he's flipping through charts because what happens is at the beginning of every show, we get a list of numbers. And that's when you get your book in order sure. you have very little time, but you know, <laughs> like, you know, uh, they'll go all on and then every, all the musicians get on stage, you know, in their tuxes and blah, blah, blah. And, and they, I think they give you the number, you know, the, the list of numbers yeah, yeah. before you go on and you go through your book and you're getting everything in order. And he's flipping through stuff and I see his hands are shaking and the charts fall on the floor. And, you know, it's just, I could see he was, you know, nervous. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, that's when I'm watching Ray Charles for the first time from the side of the stage, you know, and and because Clifford Solomon had said to me, you know, look, uh, we're doing two shows, so just check it out and uh, I'll talk to you in between sets. So there I am going through my own mental kind of stuff. I bet. Going from, "Oh my God, you know, I, I really don't read. I mean, very limited reading. And, and uh, almost embarrassingly, <laughs> I never took the time to really get down so I could sight, read and play. Mm. I've spent a little time learning how to maybe write you know, right. and figure out what those little crazy ant races do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, you know, my ear has always been so good that it, yeah. I, it hadn't stopped me right. from being a musician or playing, you know, up to that point, you know, with some decent players. Mm. And um, and then uh, I had a tur- toured with Ricky Lee Jones. That was my first, you know, kind of yeah. big tour. Yeah, yeah bigger tour. So, um, so there I am and I'm going through my mental stuff and I've used this analogy a lot. There's a scene in animal house where there's an angel and the devil on the shoulder. And, and, uh, so my devil's going, dude, you can't do this. You know, you don't read. I mean, who are you fooling? And the angel is going to me, Jeff, you're an amazing musician. They'd be lucky to have you. And why would you convince yourself you can't do this before you even check it out, give it a shot, mm. you know? And I've always kind of listened to that voice more in my life. Of course we have our insecurities and if, and it's, I think it's even possible that our insecurities make us be a better musician because you're hungry, right. you know? And I've never lost that. that I've hunger. never lost that hunger. I've, I've become more um, to where I, know the feeling of being unsure and being comfortable with it. Wow! I I heard a great line from a producer who said, you put in all the time rehearsing so you can be comfortable with being uncomfortable. (laughs) Such a great line, right? You learn how to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. I love that. And, and so, you know, that happens to me daily, you know, every time I play, you, I, do I'm you, learning to be comfortable, right. from uncomfortable. Yeah.
0: Can you think back to a point where that, where that really kind of solidified in you that I'm getting comfortable with discomfort?
1: It still hasn't.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but, but you recognize it. That's awesome. I recognize it, and I go with it. You know, you instead should. of instead yeah. of making me put the instrument down. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, things are changing for me. You know, I'm in my sixties and I'm seeing changes in my body. Although admittedly I'm, I'm doing yoga every day. I just got back from a bike ride. I'm, I'm being very proactive yeah, you look to staying in touch with whatever I can because, yeah. because the human body goes, you know, I'm kind of ready to just lay down forever, <laughs> right. you know? And, and I'm like, uh, uh-uh, right. we got plenty of work to do, right. you know? So, and, and even with my hands, you know, I'm noticing some changes with my hands and blah, blah, blah. So, you know, we just have to work a little harder and accept that there are going to be changes and, uh, just to be yeah. comfortable with the discomfort, if you will. So anyway, getting back to this story. So, uh, I watched the shit, the, the first set and uh, Clifford Col- Solomon, sorry. I watched the first set and Clifford Solomon comes up to me and he says, what do you think? And after having these (laughs) (laughs) conversations with the devil and angel, I said, yeah, man, I'd love to do it. He (laughs) goes, do you have a tape? I go, oh no, (laughs) but you know what? I'll be right back. Now this conversation is happening in between two sets in New Haven, Connecticut, which is probably, I'm guessing, 40, 50 miles from Hartford-ish, or mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, thereabouts. Yeah. I realize uh, it is not impossible <laughs> for me to drive all the way back to Hartford where there's a recording studio where a dear friend of mine named Doug Cupper gave me the keys to his recording studio years mm. earlier, and I would go in at night anytime from, if I had the night off, right after dinner or I'd show up there at two thirty or three o'clock in the morning after gigs. Right. And I just record until he got there at seven thirty or eight in the morning. Sometimes, you know, he'd find me slumped cool. over the console and I'm just <laughs> working, you know, cause I just have been on a mission my whole life and mm. I, uh, I'm very committed and, and I'm a bit, I'm definitely a workaholic, <laughs> but I also feel like, I don't know I just get a lot of juice out of accomplishment you know it makes me feel like I'm here for a reason yeah, yeah, you yeah. know there's stuff to get done yeah and uh, so anyway so I get in the car in between sets and you know so let me try to think so what do you think 75 minutes is the set right probably you know, something yeah, like, that, something like know, that yeah for two set, two shows where they empty the house and it's the second show so So um, I'm racing back to Hartford. I have had um, mixes, some mixes that I've made. And and I actually had, there was a gospel project that Doug said, you know what? You might have some fun with this. You know, if you want, you could just like take off the vocals about Jesus, Mm -hmm. you know, not that... He had anything (laughs) bad to say about Jesus, but but you could turn it into an instrumental track and just play some lead guitar over it, you know? And there were some great chords. And anyway, so I I picked the bluesiest, gospeliest stuff that would show that Jeff Pivar is a soulful young man on that guitar of his, (laughs) you know? And so I, I quickly dubbed off three pieces that just had that style. And I popped it on a cassette, which was right. what was going on in those days. you know. It, popped you know, we, it? I bet that took uh, a minute. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it took a minute, you know, to just to dub it off. Yeah. And I got in the car and drove fucking 90 miles, <laughs> 90 miles an hour probably, or whatever I did. Right. You know, I, I knew back. I had to get there before they left. And just as fate would have it, I turned the corner. Urgh! And I see them getting on the bus and I jump out of my, my car with, with a cassette and I go on the bus. I go, Clifford. And he's sitting right in front. I go, here's my tape. And he called me the next day. He said, can you come to uh, New York? Uh, we, we have a day off. Mm. And uh, I, yeah, and, and can you come, whether it was that day or the, the next day or whatever. But mm. he said, we have a day off in New York. We're staying at a hotel near JFK. And I'll get the band to assemble at a uh, a convention room. And they set up the whole band for my wow audition, and they threw some charts in front of me. Mm-hmm. Now, the thing that's kind of cool about guitar, as opposed to any of the horns right. or probably even the bass, everything is pretty much written out. Yeah, the guitar is a rhythm instrument, right. So as long as you have a decent, ear for rhythm, uh, I don't think anyone, well, there, there certainly wasn't anyone leaning over my shoulder and said, no, no, you should be playing half notes, right. you know, rhythms. Uh, y- you want to just be a rhythmic person sure. in the orchestra. You know, that's, that's the piano and the bass and the, and the, you know, uh, the drums and and the guitar, they all work together for the pulse of the music underneath, whether it's big band or it's R and B or whatever. And because I had roots in R and B and I knew some chords There were chords on there that had a lot more symbols than I knew how to play. But if it said G713 flat five, I know if I play a G7, yeah. You're going to be all right. It's going to be okay. I don't have to play every note of the chord, you know? So anyway, long story short, I made my way through the charts. And then there was a song where there was a written out guitar solo. And I (laughs) sheepishly said to the band leader, Clifford, I, I have to admit, I'm not like the quickest sight reader. He go, I said, oh, wait, he goes, oh, it's easy. You just go do 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 that twice. I go, awesome, thank you, thank you, fucking save the day for me, man. I mean, really, you know, because that's either I'm sorry, sir, you're gonna, you know, thank you for your time, but you got to be able to read if you're gonna do the darn gig. So he sang the solo to me. And of course, I played it, you know, soulfully. And you yeah. know, he goes, cool. All right. Well, Mr. Charles, it's really important to Mr. Charles that our guitar player knows how to play the blues. So we're just going to have the band play a number of choruses and you can just solo. And I'm like, yeah. Perfect. Okay, baby. <laughs> and sure enough, I got the phone call to uh, come and do a gig. And the first gig was in Brooklyn. And um, so it just so happened to be, a huge blizzard (laughs) and my friend, Doug, who gave me the keys of the studio said, I'll drive you, you know, we'll go together if you want. And so we went through hours and hours and hours of snowstorm and get there like 15 minutes before showtime and (laughs) Ray's manager. And I won't say his name because he's not alive anymore, but he was not a nice man. Mm. He goes, Sir, you know, he goes, I'm sorry. Your friend is going to have to leave. This show is sold out. I go, sir, all due respect. We just drove six hours to get here. It's blizzarding outside. If my friend can't stay, I don't stay. (laughs) Uh, Okay, well, he could sit over here. You know, (laughs) my friend Doug sits on the side stage. Mm Mm-hmm. I get, they, you know, I get, I I brought uh, in my my own suit or whatever, yeah. yeah. About five minutes later, they bring Ray down, sits right next to my friend, (laughs) Doug. And, and Ray senses there's someone there and Ray goes, how you doing, son? Or whatever, you know, and they, they have a little bit of a conversation. So that was quite surreal for my friend, Doug. (laughs) I didn't realize that, but he told me that in a, and anyway, how, so the, the show, the, the show yeah. went fine, and at the end, you know, uh, they say Mr. Charles wants to see you, and he goes, uh, "Honey, I, I, I'd like you to, you know, join the band, and uh, here's what I could pay you, which is barely anything." <laughs> and, uh, but you know, for me, it's like, "Oh my God, this is unbelievable! Unbelievable right. opportunity!" I think it was like five hundred and fifty dollars a week, yeah. And out of that, you had to pay for hotels, right? So
0: you weren't making much.
1: You know, well, what we ended up doing and what the company would do is they would get r- group rates for the musicians and a lot of the musicians, including me, uh, you know, I made friends with, with, you know, people in the band and we just get double rooms and split the cost of the room. Right. So that, that, uh, that worked out fine. Um, you know, and hopefully your roommate wasn't a horrible snorer and, uh, there were times <laughs> right. when we happened to meet girls or something, sure. and then you'd have to figure something out, right. but, but other than that, it was a very, uh, it worked out fine, but here I am, this young guy right. who had, uh, you know, we went to Japan, we went, we played the huge festivals in Europe, Den Haga, you know, right. the, the, uh, uh, North Sea Jazz Festival, I mean, all these different things that we did, and there's videos on YouTube that are some of the most prized possessions of my career, you know? Yeah. And the thing that I learned early on is that I could get Ray Charles to scream in delight, to <laughs> shriek with the right placed guitar note. And it was such an epiphany for me from this Jewish boy from Hartford, Connecticut. I can make Ray Charles go, "Oh, how oh, you nasty boy!" And oh my God, yeah you know from feeling. from that moment on, my life was changed because I, I I just figured, if I can move this guy, I must be doing something okay. This yeah. guy is like, you know, right. the master, <laughs> you know? And uh, guys in the band would come up to me and go, oh, the old man like you, <laughs> you know? And just stuff like that, you know? Yeah. And, uh there was also a story that my friend Morris told me. He was standing at the front door of a hotel in Rome mm. and Clark Terry was outside and Clark was at our performance. And, and he said, uh, Ray said something that they, you know, they were coming up the stairs or whatever. And, and Clark saw Ray and, you know, Clark was saying how great the gig was. And he goes, and that guitar player, he was playing all kinds of chitlins and stuff or whatever, you <laughs> right. know? So my friend was so stoked that Clark, Clark Terry was like, quelling. He was over, Yeah. Right. You know? <laughs> And, and I, I do have a, a Michael Brecker story too, like that. You know, right. we, we, we played, uh, I don't know if I mentioned this earlier, did I? No, um, no, okay. no. So um, we were playing, well, when we were touring Europe, we were, we were playing a lot of very beautiful theaters and a lot of outdoor festivals. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I didn't realize that, like the Colosseum in Rome, there were Colosseums that the Romans built all over Europe. Right. Because Rome was all over Europe. Right. You know, that's how it big was the Europe. dynasty was. Yeah. <laughs> so there was one of those Colosseum places in a place called Nimes, N-I-M-E-S, France. And so there was the Nimes Jazz Festival. And we played, and then we had a day off. And our hotel room actually overlooked this thing. And... I heard that Steps Ahead, featuring Michael Brecker, was playing that night. Mm. And so knowing that bands do sound check, <laughs> I went there and I had my pass sure. and, you know, just walked my way. Oh, I played with Ray Charles last night. Oh yeah, come on in. Right, just hang out. So I, there I am sitting in the afternoon sun and I'm looking up at my heroes, you know, playing and Michael Brecker. You know, I kinda caught his eye for a second. And he kinda looked like he kind of squinched and whatever to like look at me, you know? So they did their sound check, and all of a sudden, Michael Brecker gets off the stage and walks directly towards me. And he goes, Were you playing guitar with Ray Charles last night? And I said, Yeah, yeah, I was, Mr. Brecker. He goes, Man, you blew me away. <laughs> oh my God. Right. I, I just about Pee in my pants. I mean, it's Michael Brecker, you know. Right. one of the latest one of Same. the greatest. Yeah. So, he Amazing. goes, "You played a blues and you went to all the places I hoped you would or something like <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. you know." So, yeah. you know, uh, my friend my dear friend Michael Ruff, who is my childhood friend, said something to me years earlier. And this is a kid, a young man who at 13 was mm. playing a sixty year old jazz Master, he right. just was a child prodigy, and he said, "Jeff, I I see you're trying so hard. You know, you you don't have to try so hard. Just accept that you have the gift." Mm. And you know, easy for him to say. He had so <laughs> much at his fingertips and in his ears and yeah. in his heart, and and a connectedness, you know, to profound music right. even as a child. And it took me many years. You know, I'm still figuring it out, right. but. The idea is, and that I like to put it, rather than accepting that you have the gift, accepting that the gift runs through you. Right. And sometimes it's just about getting out of the way. Right. It's about turning (laughs) the ego off. It's about allowing the music to play you. Yeah. And that's how I am able to now uh, accept those types of compliments, you know, because... You know some people get very involved with their own ego and their own well, I guess I am pretty good right. <laughs> what do you think? you know, yeah, versus, I like to think that I'm learning how to get out of the way. I'm learning how to let the music speak through me, right. like uh like electricity Running. makes. Yeah, the current,
0: current. Mm-hmm.
1: you know and and get out of the way and and allow uh something bigger than my abilities than me trying to play right that there's yeah, something yeah. if i just get out of the way totally. that the energy of michael breckers you know or, or <laughs> ray charles or Jimi hendrix or whatever and not that it even has to be a person sure but okay. just a higher knowledge can come, can through. come through and yeah. so inspiration that's uh, <laughs> trying to get comfortable with that discomfort you know if you will that that there's right. something bigger right that if you if you don't have to control it you yeah. know i mean yeah there's there's some choices while you're playing oh maybe this or whatever but there is something nice about just kind of throwing it all to the wind yeah and kind of like when we're having a conversation the words just kind of happen because you have a thought and the word kind of explains what you're feeling and kind of the same thing when you get vocabulary as a musician yeah you're just feeling something and the notes and the phrase and the rhythm and the intention and the inflection and the intensity displays
0: what you're feeling right you know Let's listen to Jeff again here on Jazz is Dead playing Addicts of My Life. like a conversation because although I'm not, you know, as we're sitting here talking, we're not thinking of the words we're going to say, but mm-hmm. ideas or themes come up that you're like, oh yeah, I want right. to, I'm interested mm-hmm. in this thing, sure. you know, and um, Todd Barton, who was on the show earlier, was saying the same thing. He was like, the moment that you start asserting your ego, you've just taken yourself out of the moment. Yeah. And I thought that was beautiful. It's yeah. like, yeah, you know, any time that I've gone up on stage and been like, well, "I want to do this," or "I'm, right. I'm gonna do," yeah, I just I've stopped listening. I've stopped being mm. open, and that's not what, that's not what moves people. Yeah, they are moved by yeah. what you're talking about.
1: And and in fact, we'll never know what moves people. <laughs> right. <laughs> we we do know when we're feeling a certain level of balance. Yeah. And so if you've just learned a really hot lick and it's like, ah, oh, I'm going to put that hot lick in here. <laughs> well, then you're kind of not in the moment, not to say that the hot lick might be really cool and sure. might impress someone, you know, but yeah, there is, I just, that's one of the things that I just so love about music is that we will never know what someone else is feeling yeah. and hearing what we put out there. Yeah. But the fact that it does communicate to people, the fact that people react, the fact that people feel they're they're taken from thinking about their day or their problems or their health or whatever, mm-hmm. and it transforms not only the musician but the listener on a good day. Right. So that is one of the most. That's probably the most uh, thing that I am grateful for being a mm. musician and, and taunting the muse, <laughs> you know, cause you just never yeah, know. Yeah. You never know what someone's going to feel, you know, with, with each person, it's, it could be a totally different, Yep. you know, picture, a color <laughs> right. a, a, of emotion. Yeah. Someone could be elated. Someone could be sad. Someone could be bored. Someone could right. be excited, <laughs> you know, See, someone could go, wow, I, I want to learn that lick. Exactly. <laughs>
0: Can you remember the first time you noticed that when you played <clears throat> that that someone? Sorry, <clears throat> you know. Or thinking back to those early, you know, your early. The early Jeff Pivar, like you know, even before Ray, there must have been a a moment where that kind of solidified, and you passed from your friend saying that, where it's like you experienced
1: it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, the fact that I got to play, as a. 14 or 15 year old kid with guys who were like 18 and 19 and they were proud of me and they mm. picked songs that would feature me you right. know like allman brothers whipping post and uh, a memory of elizabeth reed and steely dan's uh, my old school and you know a, a friend of mine told me that that every time they'd come to the show his his thing was like did they do it yet <laughs> You know, so it was like the big feature, just going to play a solo note for note, you know, and it's just kind of cool, you know, that uh, people get excited about that. So, yeah, I mean, I think what happens with any good musician is you see the evolution of your work and your sights go so much higher than where you are. (laughs) Yeah. So you're never complacent you're never right. satisfied uh you f- feel good when you have that solo down right you know and you and, uh, and you feel good when you play it and people just scream or whatever you know they, yeah. they get it but the thing that's always been interesting for me is that I've never really gotten to the place where I feel like oh, okay I've, I've okay. Done, I, okay. yeah, I, yeah, I've done it you know it's like I'm always pushing it higher and so to go from you know, a performing musician to learning how to sing or try to sing or try to do it as well as I can because we do have the limitation of the sound of your voice versus guitar tones you can change and you can get different guitars and different, you know, and you can create different textures, but the sound of your voice is pretty much the sound (laughs) of your voice. And then it's about (laughs) learning how to develop it and, you know, that takes decades. Um, And then also, you know, pushing ahead with my engineering and and composing and um, producing and multi-instrumentalist and learning how to, you know, support other people's music as a side career, Um, you know, as far as recording goes and creating, you know, uh, film, doing film scores and producing people's songs. And so, you know, all these facets of my creativity have been, It's just been really exciting for me, as well as because I learned after my very first tour, when I quit the band that was working steadily to go out and tour with Ricky Lee Jones for seven weeks, and then the tour was done, and I was out of work, man. (laughs) I I was like, I had nothing. Right. So that was like, oh, my God, to go from that kind of, I have a steady gig, to, oh, my God, I've made it. I'm playing the huge <laughs> places that i've always wanted to play Ooh, and now i have no work right and they they got what someone else oh. oh my god yeah they you, got they, oh they, you god. know in other words the band that i was playing with found another oh, guitar right, well, player while i was road, gone now. and he has the gig now so yeah. um you know it's uh then i realized okay really important note to self <laughs> lots of irons in the fire
0: many options please. many
1: options please and also you know as the years have gone by and i realized that well i can have the technology in my bedroom that a recording studio used to have you know and if i learn how to utilize technology then here's a, a whole other huge income possibility exactly. and and creative possibility because yeah, yeah, yeah. i can make my own records so yeah all that stuff has been really <laughs> exciting to delve into and i talk to friends you know who tell me god you know I, I just i just never got that together you know i and it's almost like crazy not to you know <laughs> it's crazy not to have a studio i yeah. mean with COVID yeah. things like this going on there's so many musicians that could be working right in their home. You know, if you're yeah. a drummer, you, you get the gear, you get the mics, you maybe have someone help you set the stuff up, you know, yeah. and then you could play on anyone's record who yeah. wants to hire you. So anyway. It's interesting because I just
0: watched, um, go ahead, take a drink. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there's some series on um, Amazon Prime, kind of like behind the music thing. hmm And I just watched the one on Peter Gabriel and Mm. the album So. And what reminded me of that, what you just said, was that he knew he couldn't afford to go into the studio and burn through all the tape. Because it took him a year Uh to record Mm -hmm. that album. Mm -hmm. And so he bought a little farmhouse and like built his own studio so that then he wouldn't have that limitation of... I'm renting the engineer. I'm right. renting the space. I'm, you know, it's like, okay, right. I own it all. And now smart. you have this, this freedom. So yeah, yes. very smart.
1: Yeah. Oh, well, it's, <laughs> it's a game changer. Right. And there's, and all of the big studios closed yep. or many of them yeah. because, you know, because people realize this Yeah. Uh, and it's, uh, it's a luxury that, uh, you can't afford to give yourself if right. you, have the wherewithal, you know? And so I've, I've been investing as the years have gone by. And last year I was on tour and I, you know, I kind of feel like every tour that I've done, I've reinvested, you know, some of my income to, you know, whether it's getting myself another guitar, or, <laughs> or but but buying a whole new computer system that is running the latest and greatest software. Yeah. And uh, so every time I'm upping the ante, and the level of my work yeah ups. So where did um, where did harmonica come into the picture? Huh. You know, harmonica, I barely play it. <laughs> that being said. When you have your own studio, you can just kind of piecemeal it together. Right. You know, so there's this one on, on my From the Core record, there is this kind of lengthy guitar line at the end of a song. And I thought, oh, huh, I bet that would sound cool if I double <laughs> that whole thing on harmonica. Oh, wow. And so, you know, the thing that's nice about having your own studio is you can just blow down a bunch of takes. <laughs> and then just cherry pick which ones, which ones sound ones good and yeah. which ones like, that sounds like you don't really play very well, you know? <laughs> and so, I mean, you know, it's basically utilizing technology. Yeah, yeah. And if I had, you know, John Popper or if I had <laughs> my friend Gary Siegel or if I, you know, in other words, there's something kind of fun about, let, let's see if I can just do this all myself. Sure. You know? Yeah. And if it means I have to, if there's like, let's say, 15 notes, I'm going to figure out three at a time, (laughs) maybe two, maybe one, and just get that note to sound good. I like to try to do more than just one. (laughs) Sure. But, you know, there's on the Jazz's Dead record, there's a song called Cumberland Blues. Mm -hmm. And at the end of this... Song our keyboard player T La- T Lavitz, who I love and miss dearly. Mm. May his soul rest in peace, my brother. But uh, he plays this line that you have to be kind of like Steve, the guitar player Steve Morris to be able to play. And that was one of my fears when I was in a band with these guys. It's like they're gonna they're gonna have me need me to play stuff that I can't play. Right. But what I did was I, I doubled that line on mandolin you know it's just like one of these 16 32nd yeah. notes you know it's just like insane very fast yeah so i taught myself how to play a few of the notes at a time and i just pieced it together and it sounds great yeah it does sound great. Right. uh i don't do it live i can't do <laughs> yeah it live. i haven't never you seen know? you no i don't think no. i've ever seen you play harmonica but yeah oh you know what uh on, on, um, there, I have a, um, there's a soundtrack CD. It's called walk-in. It's the first, yeah. um, the first film that I ever scored. And it was a, a man who lived locally. And, um, so it was a low budget thing. And he asked me if I'd be interested in doing it. And I thought, well, this is a great opportunity to learn how to do it. Sure. And he actually had a lot of music that he was using as temp.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And and so he would, he just said, you know, kind of this vibe, right. which, which is, makes my Super job helpful. so much easier because, <laughs> right. you know, oh, I can do that all day long, you yeah. know, come up with similar types of approaches or timbres or whatever.
0: Yeah.
1: But, uh, um. Uh, is there was there harmonica
0: in there? Oh yeah. So so
1: yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, again, it was just this opportunity to do things that I don't really know how to do. But then you're placed in this opportunity, and it's like wow. I can do this. Sure. You know? That's cool. Uh, so, you know, I've, I've often surprised myself uh, to be able to do things and push the boundaries mm. and, and utilize technology. I utilize strings and, you know, just doing things that I had never done before. Right. You know, so... Palettes
0: uh, and colors you'd never yeah. experiment with. Yeah. That's so, so cool. you know, it's
1: just, all you need is a dollar and a dream, <laughs> they say. Or I, I the one I like better is, you know... Your, your imagine your only limitation is your, imagination. Is your
0: imagination. Yeah. 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 So why the, why the guitar? What made you?
1: Well, my brother, Steve, yeah. My brother, Steve, who was my hero as a young man, he was my oldest brother. I, you know, both brothers are heroes for sure. Mm. But Steve, um, Steve was, Steve is 10 years older than me. And so, you know, he left for college. And you know, so he was not around as much, right? And he was also, you know, my, my parents broke up. so you know, there, he was closer to a father figure than my middle brother who I spent most of my time with when mm. we were living together. Um, anyway, Steve came home from college with an electric guitar that someone had given him, or whatever.. Right. And um, I was very interested and uh just started noodling around with it and he was gone for the summer and when he came back he saw that i had you know kind of taken <laughs> this thing over and he just gave it to me yeah. he just said no you're this is for you you should be doing this and so then a kid down the street my, my next door neighbor played a little guitar and so he was probably mm, 10 years older mm-hmm. or maybe eight years older and And so he taught me, uh, you know, my first songs. I think he taught me Well-Respected Man by The Kinks as my first Mm -hmm. song. Please, Please Me by The Beatles as my second song. And from there, I just got a chord book with songs that were on on the radio. Um, Right. You know, um, just various things. And and it had the chord symbols. So I was looking at the symbols and seeing, I could see where to put my fingers and I had enough of you know, an ear that I could hear when, oh yeah, this sounds right. This sounds right. like this, this doing song. Right there there, is song, here it is, you know? And then, you know, because my parents had broken up, there was a lot of uh, tumultuous emotions going on and, you know, my yeah. father wasn't there and a lot of that energy, a lot of that um, confusion, and a lot of that um, sorrow and excitement and, you know, Survivor went to the guitar. Yeah. You know, just uh, it was my best friend. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it just, I I was really passionate about it. And it was, I was thrilled that, you know, at at 10, 11, 12, 13, you know, I was just. How many hours a day do you think you were spending on it? That's a good question. I, you know, I, I just know (laughs) I, I know I spent time. Yeah. You know, I did, I did a lot of time. And then, and then when you're, you know, you're in a, you get asked to be in a band so that now you have uh, things you got to learn stuff to learn yeah. yeah so this is your assignment <laughs> and uh, i th- you know i think the guys saw that this young kid was dedicated yeah. you know he wasn't just coming up there and you know I, yeah. he he was always swinging for the rafters you know <laughs> and I uh, had a lot of energy you know <laughs> I and, bet. And, if, and in fact our harmonica player chuck grunt Chuck used to say, Jeff, you know, just, just relax a little, you know, you don't have to play so fast, you know, I like, just feel it, you know? Right. Yeah. A couple notes, you know, just right. take your time, wow. you know? Good yeah. mentors. Oh yeah. Oh, I know. I know. He was a blues guy. Yeah. He loved muddy, muddy Waters and, you know, the classic stuff. And, you know, we had some really cool tunes that he brought in and we do some Van Morrison and we do some Jay mm-hmm. Giles and we do some Allman Brothers and... Yeah, you know, Jonathan Edwards, peaceful, easy feeling. And, right. you know, it was, cause there were different singers in the band. There were three singers in the band, which was cool. So, uh, you know, uh, some, you know, good time, mm-hmm. bar music right. and some songs and yeah, it was fun. Cool. It was a, it was a diverse ensemble and it was so great for me at 14, 15, 16 to be playing every weekend Right, and I decided i'm what gonna do school this to
0: learn That's well yeah great. it
1: became my school because i quit high school in my yeah. junior year i just it wasn't for me anymore yeah and uh my my parents had divorced so they were not together and they both wanted me to stick it out and i tried for like another three weeks or a month and i just said no this ain't working i'm done i'm an, I'm just gonna play all yeah. the time <laughs> i got a job the next day with a dear friend of mine who's a musician his name is bob d'alia but his nickname was spaceman <laughs> Spaceman had a carpet cleaning business. Okay. And so my friend Gary Siegel and I, who's a, Gary's a fantastic harmonica player. Gary and Bob and I were a three-man crew. And in fact, Bob would, you know, get the gigs and then we'd go in and Bob would kind of schmooze the homeowner right. and uh, try to get more work. Mm-hmm. And, hey, we're, we're doing those other two bedrooms too or whatever, you know. Sure. And so it was a great thing because I was doing very physical work as a young man. So it helped develop my body, uh, and I learned a trade. And it went from a three-man crew to a two-man crew to a one-man crew. I was doing my own gigs, and I'd do like three houses a day. Damn! And there were times I was making like three hundred bucks, you know, or whatever. You know, I would sell the extra rooms. Well, while we're here, you know, look, look how good this is coming out. Blah blah blah. Right. Um, Yeah, it's it's a special kind of carpet cleaning that involves. (laughs) Well, you know, I have to tell you, because, you know, there's there's the schmutz that you buy in a bottle, and you right. spray it on the rug, and it doesn't do rug anything. Rug doctor or whatever. It doesn't do anything. <laughs> it, I, I, and here's the wrap. So putting that on your rug, it's like going in the shower, putting a bunch of shampoo in your hair, and leaving it there. What is that going to do? <laughs> right. So this this machine was two tanks. One was a clean water tank. You put it in hot water. You right. put it in some kind of solvent, you know, whatever,
0: yeah.
1: and then you... Put it down, and then you squeegee it right back up with a high pressure vacuum. And there's a dirty tank, and you see all this crap coming, coming out of the out rug. Of it, yeah. So I mean, it kind of makes sense. Sure. Anyway, I learned to trade, <laughs> and it was great because uh, it would augment my music career. You know, right? It's not like I could uh, take care of my rent just in and playing gigs. gigs alone. Yeah. Especially if they were just like a Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Right. So.
0: Um, and yeah. How did Ricky I, Lee, how did that all? My friend,
1: transpire? Michael Ruff, my friend, Michael Ruff, who was my childhood friend. He was the prodigy, uh, at 13. He moved to Woodstock first and, uh, worked with a bunch, bunch of, inst- uh, of, of musicians there and then went out to LA, moved out to LA and he became Ricky's band leader. Oh, wow. For her second tour, uh, right after... Um, the, the record Pirates. And um, she was kind of still riding on that Chucky's in Love fame, and she's an amazing talent. So um, Michael called me one day and said, look, Ricky's auditioning guitar players for a tour, and if you want to pay your own way out, you got my couch, and I'll get you an audition. I said, wow, okay. <laughs> so I started working on the stuff, yeah. And I went out and did the audition and tanked. I, I just was nervous. Oh my God. Yeah. I just, you know, it just, I just didn't do well.
0: Oh man. And,
1: and I, I, you know, afterwards I said, I'm so sorry, Michael. I just got so nervous. He goes, Jeff, just keep working on this stuff. I, I, you should just stay here and keep working on this stuff. I go, but I, I sucked. I mean, I he goes, well, <laughs> yes let's see what happens. You know, <laughs> see what happens. Just keep working on it. And about, Three or four days later, after I worked on the stuff more, he goes, okay, you're coming in tomorrow and it's not an audition. It's just a rehearsal. Okay. So
0: just come in and play have fun. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Just have fun. Cause I know how good you are. Right. You know? And I came in the next day and played and kind of had some vibes, you know, good vibes with the band and this and that. And, you know, I don't know if it was that day or whatever. He said, yeah, come in tomorrow too. You know, come in tomorrow. (laughs) And it, one of those days, all of a sudden, and this was out, this is without Ricky. We were just running the right, material. Right, you were just running yeah. Stuff. And then all of a sudden, the door opens, and we're playing a song. And there's Ricky, and we're playing, and we keep playing, you know. And she puts on her guitar, and she kind of comes over towards my direction. I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> and she's, like, grooving with the guitar. I think it was a, a song called Weasel. It's got this, like, kadoom. And she's like bobbing her head and she's coming closer to me. And I'm like, oh, shit. oh no. Yeah. And she literally puts her cheek next to mine. And what? I'm, and, and part of me is like, oh, I got to pull away. No, you know, there's the angel and the devil. The devil's going, pull away, dude. This is too weird. And the angel's going, be there for the girl, be there and show her your support, you right. know? She's wow. asking for, she's looking to see if you're going to be there for her. That's what I felt like. Right. My, my angel was telling me.
0: Wow. And I
1: just kept my head right there, you know, and I had the gig.
0: Wow. <laughs> I bet you were elated when they told you. Oh my you. God.
1: Of course. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Who did, did you call your your parents? Oh yeah,
1: of course. Yeah. we're <laughs> like, you'll... Never, yeah, I got the gig. I made it. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> And you know there was a, I, I did numerous tours with her over the years, and uh, <clears throat> I mean she's she's heavy. She's a heavy, amazing musician, but mm. she's also a troubled soul. And uh, mm. you know, rather than try to figure it all out, I just know my own experience. Uh, I love her dearly, and I'm very grateful to have a chance to work with her. And very few singers will play music that make me weep when it's just so deep. And she does, she just hits me to the bone, you know, with wow. some of her music. It's yeah. just so it's, you know, it, it's like a Ray Charles thing. It's just so connected, but, um, she's a tormented soul and you know, mm. whatever. Anyway, yeah. I, I, would like to think, and this is kind of this more utopianistic Jeff Peabert mm. mind that certain people are supposed to eclipse that certain people are supposed to show up for people to be of, of, of support. It was huge for me. And she also was fortunate to have me in her band, you know, and not to say that there aren't a million guitar players, she would be fortunate to have in her band. But for that period of time, yeah, we were both fortunate to be in each other's band. And, uh, or you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. To, to be playing together. Yeah. And uh and in a way, really, everyone who's in the band, it's their band. Right. I mean, at least it might be an artist's music, but you're putting your heart and soul your, into yeah. it. So it, it's like It's a group effort. It's like if you're making souffle or, or bouillabaisse, yeah. you know, all those flavors, it's it's their flavor. It's their it's their dish. Right. You know, the salt and the whatever you know what i'm trying to say so um it's about chemistry and and how the embroidery how all all the all the flavors come together so uh there's some beautiful stuff on on youtube of of me playing with ricky too uh there's one from paris casino de paris i think is the venue is the first Mm. my first trip to paris you know it's like oh my god (laughs) life-changing
0: i bet oh my god yeah what was it like that first gig stepping out on stage and sing i mean i'm sure there were like thousands of mm-hmm. that was probably the largest audience you'd play to well yeah. ricky
1: was the first big tour so right. yes what yeah. was that
0: like to step
1: out there and it was be awesome like... <laughs> i mean it was really exciting you know i mean we had this huge band and i had my dearest friend in the world michael ruff you know so he, I right mean, he and i had been through some of the heaviest stuff together wow. like visiting our mothers you know who were both, you know, going through emotional problems, you know, so, you know, I felt uh, a kindred spirit and and the musicians were so good and Mm. everybody made me feel really good, you know, it it wasn't like, you know, anyone was vibing me or being jerks, you know, everyone were professionals. There were, there were a couple of the horn players from the Tonight Show in that band and, you know, so yeah, you know, there was, there was great players. I bet. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Did you enjoy touring? Do you, do you enjoy touring? Oh my God. It's, it's camp, (laughs) you know, I mean,
1: we're staying in gorgeous hotels, you know, it's, it's, it was a dream come true. It's something I've dreamed about my whole life. So, um, you know, as time goes on and depending on the tour and depending on the artist and depending on the treatment of the musicians, you know, to go from Ricky Lee, Je- Ricky Lee Jones's band is staying at these gorgeous hotels where you have your own room and you know, you're being paid a salary <laughs> to barely being paid. And then having to offer up some of that little salary to room. pay for your hotel room. That was a little daunting, but I didn't care. Cause I was a kid, you know, and I was like, Oh my God, we're going to Japan. Yeah. yeah. You know, and those days, as soon as we got anywhere, I threw my bag in the room and I was gone. I was <laughs> off to find the tallest oh, monolith or the tallest sky ride or mm. the top of the Eiffel Tower or the Tower of London or somewhere where I could get to the top of the bird's eye view and just take in the place, you know, and feel like, wow, I'm right. in Paris, man. <laughs> I mean, how many people get a chance to do this who were born in Bloomfield, Connecticut, you know? <laughs> right. So, you know, I, I just really ate and drank it all up, man. I was just so thrilled. And and I remember I started uh, buying maps and then started tracing, you know, where we, we were... went. And I don't know even know where those things are. But, um, you know, after you're touring for years and years and years and years, you kind of go to all these amazing places, but you're there for a day or two. And it's like, you'll get to the place. It's like, Hmm, have I been here before? I think I have. Yeah. yeah. I think, you know, certain places, maybe you're lucky enough to spend more time and make more of an imprint or you met someone special there or who knows, you know, but, um, would she, um, would she
0: hang out with the band at all? Like
1: sometimes? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, We, you know, yeah. And, and I think sometimes we'd, um, We'd actually, I mean, I I think sometimes when you're around certain people too much, it could be detrimental. It just depends on the relationship and the dynamic. Right. You know? And uh, so I know that there's been certain artists that I've worked with that maybe you get somewhere and you really want to hang with them and certain artists that you get to a destination and you kind of don't, you want to like, all right, I'm just going to kind of not make where I am very visible right now. And I just, cause I just want to be on with my own myself or my pal who I like kicking around with, you know, cause you know, cause, cause then if there's a dynamic that you're with the artist, it's a whole different scene. Yeah. You know, whether that artist is famous, and then there's that whole thing where you're like, people are looking or, you know, it's just a different kind. And then you feel a certain responsibility, like I, I have to kind of be a little bit of a bodyguard or, right, you know. so yeah. And and not that I mind that, but that there's, there's some decisions to be made. Yeah. This is my off time. Yeah. You know, do I really, how do I want to play this, you know? Right. I will say that I really love hanging with Crosby. I mean, he's you know he's, he's a very generous guy right. and he's out of his mind and in a lovely way. I, I relate to that, um, but there's been a lot of great times. And, and also Graham Nash is also a lovely, lovely man. And Joe Cocker was incredible. I mean, he was such a gentleman. He would take his entire ensemble out for dinners after wow. tour, after, like on nights off, we'd get a phone call band dinner meet in the lobby at 7 and we go to like five star record wow. uh, the restaurants and i'm not just the band we're talking everyone was invited and he'd pick wow. up the check every time wow i mean no when you're playing 20,000 seat theaters and selling them out you can afford to right, do that sold, kind yeah, of stuff you're, you're but i mean i can't even imagine what a bill like that would cost yeah. you know <laughs> so he joe was amazing that way you know but a lot of people that i've worked with have been very
0: very generous like that hey everyone it's steve again just wanted to say thanks for listening and i really hoped you enjoyed part one of my conversation with jeff pivar come back next week and hear the rest of our conversation and more great music and you can hear about all of Jeff's current projects, working with David Crosby, and lots, lots more great nuggets. Can't wait to share it with you. Hope you have an awesome week, and don't forget to stop by the website, theplayfulmusician.com. You can check out past episodes, and there's resources there for you as well. All right, everybody, take care.